Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, August 26th, another day of the Western Southern Open in the books, another day for us tennis fans to gather data as we try to get our takes ready for the 2020 U.S. Open, and of course for all of us after a five and a half month hiatus, I will continue to reiterate this point. It's just so great to see our favorite tennis players back on court. The level of play seems to be getting better better and better as this week has progressed. And again, a lot of fun tennis for us to discuss today. Joining me on the podcast once again to do just that, our Crack Rackets do everything. Former Denison men's tennis great, a man I affectionately refer to as James Foster McDonald. Jamie, how are you doing today? Not too bad. Making this thing a habit, so it's good. Let's keep the momentum going. Yeah, we have to stick to our routines, of course. We also mentioned this at the end of yesterday's podcast, but we'll kick it off on another bright note. Happy birthday to Mrs. McDonald. I know it is her birthday today, so we'll kick it off again with a happy birthday to her, Jamie. Obviously, you're not here without her, so shout out to Mrs. McDonald. That is correct. Going to have a nice celebration tonight. Of course, a very safe outdoors one, but a nice celebration at that. So happy birthday to Debbie, and uh, I'm sure she'll appreciate some great content on the pod. If dinner is scheduled during a tennis match, will the match be on in the background? Uh, TBD. Depends who's on. We'll see. <laughs> she'll be okay with it. Yeah, for the for the record, that's the exact same answer I would give my mom, and she would say the same thing. She'd be like, yeah, do what you got to do. Just put it on mute. I completely agree with you there. But yeah, it's been so great to have our days filled with watching tennis. It's great when you start these matches at 11. They go throughout the day. Obviously, I always forget that feeling. By the end of the week, you feel empty. It's Thursday, and there are no matches at 11 a.m., and you're like, what's going on? Where's my day-long tennis? But I know, again, I speak for all of us. It's been so fun to get to see all of these players, and we're starting to learn, I think. we, You know, one performance, you can throw that away. Two performances, okay, that's cool. Three performances, we can see a trend. And some trends have emerged for some of these players early on here on the ATP WTA restart in 2020. We're going to explore that today. So let's get right into it with our match breakdowns. We'll start there first, go through the rest of the day's results, and then, of course, preview all of the matches for Day 5. Now, the reason we are able to do that here at the Mini Break you all know is because of the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar. We've said it a million times, so I'll just reiterate it here. Look good, feel good, play good. That's where our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar come in. To look good, you can find anything you need. Shirts, shoes, shorts, rackets, strings, grips, you name it, they've got it at MidwestSports.com. You use our promo code CR15, you'll get 15% off your order. Free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, that free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. They, of course, are also in the midst of their Western Southern Open giveaway. Some things have already been given out, but you still have a chance to win a brand new head racket. You still have a chance to sign up for Friday's giveaway away of four free 2021 Western and Southern Open tickets. God willing, we'll be able to attend tournaments in person again come 2021. You're going to want that chance to do it for free at the Western and Southern Open, so go sign up with our friends at Midwest Sports. Let them know we sent you there by using that promo code CR15. Similarly, you know, Aerobar, it's the only tennis-specific energy bar in the business, and we're really excited to continue our podcasts with them, getting to the point where we focus on the importance of nutrition, fitness, in the mind 
modern game, of course, given there's been a five and a half month layoff, you know, for Serena Williams, she probably wished she had an arrow bar in that third set as she was getting bageled by Maria Sakkari, just didn't have any energy left in the tank. Maybe had she had an arrow bar at the changeover, she would have been able to get over the hump, put up a better fight in that third set. You yourself can get some arrow bars by going to their website, arrowbar.com. Use our promo code CRACK15. You'll get 15% off. And just quick plug, I recorded this morning a fantastic uh getting to the point episode, which will be a cracked interview tomorrow, uh, given everything going on with the Western and Southern Open with Brenda Schultz-McCarthy, the former top 10 singles and doubles player. She has stories galore, folks. It was a fascinating conversation. You're going to really enjoy that, so be on the lookout for that. Go to their website. Use their uh, use our promo code. Let them know we sent you there. Uh, it's a win all the way around, but I alluded to it there, Jamie, in that promo uh, for Aerobar. That is the match I want want to start with today because that's definitely the headline. Coming into these three weeks in New York, Western and Southern Open followed by the U.S. Open, there's so much parity in the women's game, so much uncertainty. It legitimately feels like 50 different women in any given week could compete for and legitimately win any event they sign up for. And given all of that uncertainty, given the circumstances under which these events are being played, People would think, justifiably so, the odds makers at DraftKings thought it, that you want certainty given every all of the nonsense going around. That someone like Serena Williams, who you can pencil in each and every Grand Slam she competes, she's going to make the second week. And then from there, do you really ever want to bet against Serena? Probably not. But for the second week in a row, we saw her lose a match in Lexington before the finals. Here, we see her knocked out again by 13-seeded Maria Sakkari, 5-7-7-6-6-1 Jamie in a third set that probably should have been a bagel. Serena Williams was trying to lose that 5-0 serving game. She just couldn't, and she ended up getting on the board. Sakkari uh, ends up serving it out. But Jamie, your thoughts on just... I, I don't know, uh, a weird performance, I guess, is where we'll start for, from Serena Williams. Yeah, I mean, we can start on the Serena side, but I mean, I don't want to take anything away from Sakari because this was a really good performance on her part. Um, she put a ton of pressure on Serena. The third set was a little weird with Serena. You know, it was one of those things where sometimes you, you expect Serena to stick around in a match and then finally sort of just find it and get away with a win because um, she's done that for so many years, whether it be her nature, whether it be just the fact that the other person is usually intimidated because, wow, I'm playing Serena Williams. Um, but most of this, I mean, a lot of this was played off of Serena's racket, and that's uncomfortable for her. Uh, Sakari put so much pressure on her throughout this entire match. You know, you can break it down by set if you want, but the bottom line is she created 19 breakpoint um, opportunities for herself. And, yeah, obviously she didn't you know, convert all of them or even most of them, but that just speaks to the amount of pressure that Serena was under throughout the entire match. Yeah, I mean, so... We, let's start with Sakari. I agree with you because you always want to praise the winner first. It's very easy to sit here and play armchair quarterback and say, here's what Serena should have done better. But you're right. For Maria Sakari, 44-59 on first serve points, 75% conversion percentage. That's that's a really, you know, that's a job well done. She also created 19 breakpoint chances for herself. Now, you know, there are a lot of breakpoint chances in that third set alone. I believe for Sakari, she created 16 of those 19 in the third set. But you know, obviously, 
Uh, she got herself into this match. She was able to hold serve. She was able to come back from a breakdown on a couple of different occasions, was trailing in both those first and second sets. And, you know, it was a day where I don't think Maria Sakkari was playing her cleanest tennis, you know, compared to how she played against Coco Goff, compared to how she'd played the round after. This was not that performance, and you're never going to play your cleanest tennis from start to finish against Serena Williams just because of the competitor she is, the aura that surrounds her. Uh, And yet, you're right. For Maria Sakkari, physically, she's fit as a fiddle. It was quite clear she had plenty of gas left in the tank. She kept making that extra ball, kept just trying to get Serena extended, trying to make the match as physical as possible. And ultimately, you know, it obviously worked for her as she was able to cruise in that third set. But I do think we have to look at it from the Serena side because how many three-set matches has she now played in the two events? What, five? Four yeah. or five? Whatever it is. Yeah, it's and yeah, in this match in particular, and she even said it in the press conference when she was asked about her effort in the third set, she said, look, it's really hard to motivate yourself to keep going, not only when you're you know, physically drained, but when you thought you had the match won. And Serena Williams did, to an extent, have the match won. You know, she created, or, you know, for neither of these players were particularly effective on the second serve, but for Serena, 45 of 68, 66% won on the first serve. She was, what, four of six, I think, on break chances through set one and set number two. Uh, She had plenty of opportunity. She served for this match and just she wasn't able to get over the hump and you know thus far for Serena Williams the thing that's been most impressive for her is the fact that she hasn't been playing her best tennis and yet she's continued to find ways to win. We've seen now twice where the fact that she's not playing her best tennis first against Shelby Rogers obviously now here against Maria Sakkari. Uh, she just hasn't had enough to win because so many of these young players are so talented are playing such good tennis right right now in the women's game. I mean, not even the young players, just every player right now, there's that much talent. I don't know. Are the are the flashing lights, you know, is it red alert right now if your team Serena heading into the U.S. Open? It could be. I mean, it's, it's dangerous out there. Long gone are the days where it pretty much felt like Serena was a lock to win, um, especially to win a slam. Because believe me, I mean, you remember as well as I do, there certainly were those days where it was like, okay, there was Serena and everyone else. Now it's kind of like, okay, there's all these other people and Serena could be in the mix. Um, you know, I think a lot of people, sure, we, we know what she's done over the years, so always a threat. But, I mean, think about it this way. Look how many people now, look how many people are playing their best tennis. You mentioned it's not just the young WTA stars. It's everybody throughout. You've got veterans who are coming back and looking really, really good, like an Azarenka, for example. So, you know, you've got people who are on these courts feeling really good. And Serena, I mean, if she wants a shot to win the U.S. Open, she's got to be winning matches like this. And not only just not winning them, let me rephrase, not just winning them, but truly competing throughout them. That third set, as you mentioned, it kind of looked like she was trying to lose it at some points um, because she just simply was not in it. And, you know, maybe there was just not that much left in the tank. And and Sakari did a great job, as I mentioned, uh, putting pressure on her constantly. But that sort of performance just isn't going to get it done when it comes to the real New York. I'm not asking you who you feel. First of all, I think you framed it perfectly. She's not the favorite. She's in the mix, but she's not the favorite, and that's different for Serena Williams. But let me frame it like this. Who's playing better tennis right now, Jamie, Serena Williams or On Jabour? I mean, when you ask it like that, On Jabour is probably playing better tennis. Now, do I think once you put everything, all the factors on the table— 
you're looking at someone like Serena, but that just speaks to how many different people on the WTA are playing the same level, if not better tennis than her right now. That's exactly the point I was trying to get across. You could even, and I almost use this as the example, just Pagula. Like, she's playing outstanding tennis. One could argue she is even playing at a higher level right now than Serena Williams. And that's not to say Serena, the competitor, shouldn't be taken as seriously as ever, because of course she should. But you're absolutely right. If Serena Williams comes away from the U.S. Open with slam number 24, I would argue it's the most impressive title she's had in her career because that would truly be something given the level we've seen from her. But again, huge credit to Maria Sakkari, who I think has continued to play better and better throughout this season. It's really, you know, 25 years old. I think it's quite clear she's hitting her prime. And I think, you know, I've talked about this group a lot. Conteve, Mertens, Sakkari, Vekic, three of the four are in the quarterfinals. That doesn't surprise me at all. That's the sort of tennis they were playing before play stopped in 2020. They've carried that over now after uh, back into the resumption of tour play. So really exciting to see that. Another player whose level has continued uh, to look good over these past really 12 months of competitive tennis, Jan Leonard Struff, who has beaten Denis Shapovalov. He has beaten Alex Dimenauer. And now he has another top, uh, I believe, 10 sculpt to his list in David Goffin, who Struff knocks off 6-4-3-6-6-4 to advance to the quarterfinals for Struff in this match, Jamie. 35 winners against 25 unforced errors. I mean, it was an either-or in terms of total points, 97 for Struff, 94 for Goffin. But, you know, Struff broke Goffin at love to win the match. And the, it's not as though Goffin played a loose game. I mean, there were a couple of second serves, yes, but Struff just you know, overwhelmed Gofen. these huge returns down the center. He's playing with such pace. I talked about this yesterday. He's moving extraordinarily well. He's playing confidently. It, it, it gets said too easy, and this is a cliche, but Jan Leonard Struff is a problem right now. Yeah, he's causing a lot of problems, and he, I mean, just like I was talking with Sakari, I mean, Struff probably up another notch in terms of just keeping such consistent pressure on his opponent. And this time it was David Goffin. And it was, I mean, look, Struff is playing really well. Like, I, I, I don't have another way to say it. It's insane to me. I mean, he is hitting the ball so hard. Um, he is going after his shots with confidence. And as you just read off the unforced air, it's not like it's a crazy number, right? I mean, for a guy who's hitting this big and taking that many risks, that unforced air count is actually pretty low. Um, and that's why he's getting through these matches. Yeah, I think you just nailed it. For someone who plays as big as he does to have a plus 10 ratio, that means you're playing good tennis. And, you know, 54% on the first serve isn't great, but 12 aces does the job. 34 of 45 on first serve points does the job. Now, 16 of 39 on the second serve isn't great, but when you're holding your opponent to 15 of 37 on his own second serve, you can get away with it. And just, I think as, profi- you know, uh, David Goffin, as high of a floor player as you're going to find, he's always going to make Make that extra ball. He's always going to try and put you in a position to ask that question of you. Okay, you know, if you think you can beat me, go for it, but you're going to have to hit me off this court today. And Jan Leonard Struff was able to do it. And that's the most impressive thing. That's the takeaway is someone as fast as David Goffin, someone who's able to absorb pace, move the ball around the court, get you in uncomfortable positions as a David Goffin. For Jan Leonard Struff to persevere through that, to be plus 10 on a winner to unforced error ratio, to answer every question that was asked of him and to do it three matches in a row 
yeah, like in, given all of the uncertainty, it's very hot takey to say, you know, am I going to say quarterfinals? No, but if the draw breaks right, I expect to see on Leonard Struff in the second week of the U.S. Open. He's too fit right now, too, on top of it all, right? This is back-to-back three-set matches where he's been tested physically and he's responded to each and every test. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Look, this the whole story of this match was, and, and good for Debbie Goffin for putting up the fight he did, because honestly, it was a story of Goffin staying in this match. Yeah, yep. he, got the, he got the second set, and realistically, he was in the third. Um, you know, I think he, he got down love 15, had a bad slice backhand to give himself love 30, and from there, it was pretty much over with how Struff had been returning, and obviously, match point, you saw the ripped forehand return for the winner. Um, I mean, Struff is playing phenomenally well, and, and his ability to just keep consistent pressure on his opponent um, is something phenomenal. So, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about it in matches to come, but he's playing a Novak Djokovic in the next round, and so, obviously, that's a step up from Goffin um, in a lot of ways, but look, if Struff's able to impose his game so much of the matches that he plays are on his racket. So much of those matches is right on his racket. It's not decided by the other side. And so if he's able to impose his game, I mean, he's a danger for anybody, you know, and that doesn't exclude Novak Djokovic. Yeah, I would say think of the way Matteo Berrettini made the semifinals last year. That's the sort of run Jan Leonard Struff is capable of, that overwhelming power. I completely agree with you. And we haven't criticized David Goffin's performance because it was a good performance. If you're him, yeah, you lost this match, but you're feeling pretty confident in your level of play heading into the open, your physicality. Three out of five, you extend that match. Maybe you can wear Struff down for Goffin. 23 winners against 24 unforced airs. When you're playing someone who's putting as much pressure on you, you as Jan Leonard Struff. That's a pretty good ratio. But yeah, you, I'm really glad you made that little point. That one backhand slice there for GoFan at 4-5. Love 30. You just can't let someone as aggressive as Struff get in that position because now he gets to take a couple of cracks at the return. And obviously on this day, both of those cracks landed. And, you know, I think this is another trend we've seen emerge. The lack of competitive repetitions for so many of these players. How many 5-3 leads have you seen blown? How many yeah. 4 five service games have you seen lost at love it's quite clear there's a little bit of competitive rust for a lot of these players yep no i think you're absolutely right i, I was gonna say you know we were talking about this yesterday man it sucks to to see a match or to especially if you're the player lose a match while you're serving to stay in it and we've seen that countless times already um, cincinnati well in new york but um, in this tournament alone we've seen multiple times yeah players serving four five or five six and they lose it broken match over um, and so, yeah, I think I think as soon as they get those reps in more and more, we'll hopefully see less of it because, I mean, that's ideally that's not the, the best way to end a match unless, you know, you have a returner who's on fire, which to Struff's credit, he was on fire and he, I mean, he deserved to, to win that game. But generally speaking, it, it's tough to see a lot of matches end with people serving to stay in it and just getting broken under pressure, thinking Zverev here as well. Yeah, I, I, yeah I, I completely agree with you there. Well, one person who is playing so well under pressure, one player who is clearly as, if not more, match-tough than any player, men's or women's draw, Jessica Pagula, who continues her fantastic hard-court summer now. Unfortunately for her, some of those happened in Exos or in World Team Tennis, but fortunately that level has translated here this week at the Western Southern Open. She gets another great upset win, this time 6-2. 2663 over number five seeded Arena Sabalenka. And here's where I want to start with this match, Jamie. 
Arita Sabalenka is known for topsy-turvy performances. She is known for just as easily as she can win a set six love, she can lose a set six love. And yet, this match was such a phenomenal level of play from start to finish, and that Jessica Pegula was able to move the way she did around the court, respond to Sabalenka, track down that extra ball. There's a point in the first set, 2-1. Uh, Pegula, I tweeted it out last night, Pegula tracks down like six incredible approaches from Sabalenka, ends up getting a really good look at a forehand pass, then makes the backhand pass after Sabalenka can't put the volley away. Jessica Pegula is playing outstanding tennis. I will now, at this point, again, draw dependent, but, and we talk about this, you'll hear it in a GSP with Mark Lucero, second week of the U.S. Open. I keep saying that for all of these players, but her level of play, Jamie, has just been so outstanding. Yeah, she looks phenomenal in this one, and and you mentioned the ups and downs that you get with Sabalenka, and that's fair, but, you know, I I certainly don't think that you can attribute this result to that, because Pegula did a phenomenal job. Sorry to cut you off. I appreciate you. I forgot to finish my point, as so often happens. That was not the case in this match. Sabalenka played well. Pagula was just better, and that's incredible. Yeah, absolutely. And and she did. It, what was really impressive to me is it wasn't just one dimensional. Uh, Pagula did a good job, as you mentioned, as tracking down those balls. But I mean, you saw it even in just her body language and her talking to herself. She was consistently looking to be the aggressor as well. She was consistently looking to be able to move forward, take balls early and do that. And so when you mix that with her incredible court coverage and defense, I mean, that is a very dynamic pairing and that's what allowed her to get through this match and and you mentioned the level of play so phenomenal from both players but Pegula just too good in this one yeah I mean you mentioned it it wasn't just the defense she was playing she was dictating from the baseline going big down the line she showed off her new backhand slice which I thought was just effective at getting Sabalenka out of her strike zone and you know neither of these players were particularly successful on the second serve but for Pagula made 62% of her first serves won 64% of those points you know Sabalenka wasn't her best serving performance um but, you know, Pegula took her chances. She bounced back from a second set where Sabalenka really stepped up her level and just, you know, every body blow Sabalenka tried to dish, big backhand cross court, big return down the line, whatever it may be. Pegula was able to take the hit and bounce back. And it's just, it's not only her level of play, it's the way she competed. It's the confidence she's, you know, demonstrating, just exuding on the court. It's, it's, it's contagious. You want to watch her play because you see someone in such control of their game right now. I know we're recording this, and she's, she's uh, down currently to Elise Mertens pretty big. Elise Mertens, another player who's playing really well. But yeah, I, I thought this was a really good performance for Pagula. For Sabalenka, the quick flip side, really physical match with CeCe Bellis the day before. I thought she competed really well in this match. And this is one of those losses where I think the Serena loss was concerning. I think this is a fine loss for Sabalenka. I think you come off the court and this one, much like David Goffin, and you say, okay, I did a lot of things well. Pagula was just the better player today. Yeah, there's nothing too concerning coming out of this match. You know, look, we, we as you mentioned at the very beginning, I said there are the ups and downs, so she's kind of used to that. But, I mean, essentially, at the end of the day, she just got outplayed, um, and that happens. And, and so I don't think she has anything too negative to worry about. Gets her rest, gets ready for the big one. Um, I think she's fine in this. A good three-set competition. 
Yeah, I agree. It was a really high-level uh, match, really fun one to watch as well. Another fun one to watch, although it was our only loss of the day on our GSP ace of the day, but nevertheless, really fun level of play, particularly through uh, those first two sets. Roberto Bautista Agut knocking off Karen Hatchinov, or as we affectionately refer to him here, Kachinov, uh, 4-6, 6-3, 6-2. In this match, Hatchinov came out firing, played such disciplined tennis, was was really patient about waiting for the right ball to attack, found plus one forehand, was serving well, was moving the ball around the court, but Bautista Gut sunk his teeth into this match physically. He kept making that extra ball. He kept getting Hatchinov stretch, kept, you know, just dipping those flat, low passing shots at the Hatchinov feet and forcing him into uncomfortable positions, forcing him to feel the need to press. What were your thoughts on this one, Jamie? This one was all over the place. I think if you look at each set individually, you can take away a lot of unique things. Um, so it's hard for me to address it as a whole. I mean, I think it was a high level of competition, as you mentioned, between the first two sets in particular. The third set, a bit disappointing from Hachinov. Uh, well, more than a bit disappointing, I'll say, from Hachinov, because it really looked like he just kind of let it slip. Um, and that's not to say that Bautista Agut didn't deserve to win because the way he played in that second set, um, the way he served throughout the entire match, and then the way he kept the momentum going in the third set, you know, good for him. But Hatchinov, I was really looking for him to dig in and fight back um, and, and just didn't see it. You know, Hatchinov, obviously a guy who can rip huge shots from the baseline, but kind of just relied on that and tried to slap his way out even when he was down and maybe he should have dug in and and. and tried to fight for each individual point and instead of just being frustrated and slapping and, and yelling after he obviously missed. So it is what it is um, at this point. Batista Gut absolutely deserves to win given how he fought this off, but Hatchinov just a little disappointed in how he competed down the stretch. Uh, I mean, 27 winners against 41 unforced errors was particularly disappointing, especially given how patient he was through the first set and, you know, of this match. He went down an early break in set number two and, you know, went down an early break in set number three and just was never able to bounce back, was never able to find a way to, you know, continue to make uh, RBA uncomfortable for RBA in this match. 24 winners against 29 unforced errors. That's sort of what you're looking for when you're playing someone like Hatchinov. But what was so concerning, you know, five winners on the backhand wing for him, 21 unforced errors. He just kept shanking off of that wing. It was not a clean performance. Uh, And yet again, physically, I liked the way Hatchinoff competed in particular, you know, towards the, I suppose the back half of that third set wasn't the cleanest, but you know, you're looking for the positives coming out of this one. If you are Karen Hatchinoff, two good wins for him this week over the boob and then over Pablo Carreno Busta in this match, you know, 59% of your first serve, you're going to hope to get that number up moving forward. He won 67% of his first serve points, held RBA to 9 of 31 on second serve points, but, you know, I swear, yeah, there were 21 backhand unforced errors. If you count the backhand shank returns as well, uh, RBA 49 of 56 on first serve points, that was the struggle for Hatchinoff today. Yep, that's exactly what I was going to mention. The That percentage for Hatchinov just has to be so much higher. Throughout this entire match, he only wins seven points on RBA's first serve. That's just, I mean, and look, Batista Agut can, you know, can serve well, but he's not out here 
bombing serves, making them simply unreturnable, right? Um, I mean, Hachinov has good looks at a lot of these returns and just not getting the point and not, I mean, some of them just simply not putting the ball in play and some of them just not setting himself up for success throughout the point. But simply put, 7 out of 56 is just not going to cut it, especially when he's going to be playing um, people with even more explosive serves come U.S. Open. Yeah, it's twofold. 9 of 31 on second serve points, that's really good for Hatchinoff. But if you win maybe even four more points on the first serve, you just hold them to 45 of 56, that's another break of serve. And maybe you send that second set to a breaker. I agree with you. Just in general, make making more returns, uh, a, playing to bigger targets, that would have helped Hatchinoff today. Uh, but certainly, again, credit to RBA, who just death by a thousand paper cuts, who's just going to make that extra ball, make you uncomfortable, hit that funky flat inside out forehand that just you don't expect and it's really fun to watch him play so again a guy who's been really good on the hard courts these past five years much like a David Gofan going to be a really tough out come the U.S. Open Uh, but those were the breakdowns for today let's get through the rest of the day's action because there were other notable performances that are worth you know again we're trying to get all the data we can you know it's limited matches before this U.S. Open so let's go through the rest of the day's results. The straight set winners on the women's set, and I believe the rest of the matches were in straight sets. Own Jabor 3-0 over Christina McHale. Uh, Victoria Azarenka 4-5 over Cornet. Joe Conta 4-2 over Zivana Reva. Mertens 2-3 over Kuder Matova. A really impressive 6-3-6-3 performance for Conteve over Buzkova. But my most notable other performer on the women's side, the player who has now taken over as the DraftKings odds-on favorite to win the U.S. Open, Jamie. Naomi Osaka, 6-3-6-1 over Diana Yastremska. She served so beautifully in this match. She played so aggressively. Said, oh, Diana Yastremska, you think you hit the ball hard? Watch what I can do. It was just such an impressive performance from the number four seed. She has played better and better with each passing set, Jamie. Yeah, she looks really good. Um, I, I feel really good about her game coming into the U.S. Open. I mean, you mentioned it. Yastrzemska is somebody who's trying to be the one dictating and hitting the big shots. But, I mean, you're playing against Osaka, who loves that pace. So I think if you're Yastrzemska, you got to be a little bit smarter about how you approach that. I mean, sure, you got to play your game and then try and impose it. But got to think a little bit more outside the box when you're playing somebody like Osaka, who's A, so good at that type of game, B, so comfortable on these courts and in this location. She's got a ton of confidence, as she should, going into the U.S. Open now. 25 of 30 on first serve points, 13 of 26 on the second serve, which is fine when you're 10 of 20, your opponent's 10 of 26. She saved all five break points she faced, yeah. so she didn't get broken today. That is a huge win for Naomi Osaka. I will also quickly say, just, just quickly— Annette Conteve is playing outstanding tennis. Elise Mertens is playing outstanding tennis. And this Conteve-Osaka match, I guess we'll talk about it in a second when we get to the preview, those are two players who are in my top five of my list of players who I think can win the U.S. Open. I am so excited for that matchup here on day five because Conteve, to beat Buzkova 3-3, three and three, that's, that's a really good win. Buzkova obviously going to make every ball just force you to beat her. And Conteve was able to do that comfortably today. So we've seen some 
really good tennis on the women's side. It's going to be a really fun slate of quarterfinal matches that we will preview momentarily. But first, let's run through the rest of the men's results and the rest of them fairly straightforward. Filip Krajinovic, 2-1 over Fucevic. Milos Raonic uh, doing what we anticipated in yesterday's mini break, just upping the pace level to something Andy Murray probably hasn't seen in three plus years, and Raonic just taking it to him 2-2 two and two in that match. Daniil Medvedev, a comfortable 3-3 three and three winner over Badene. Novak Djokovic, 2-4 and four over Tennis Sandgren. And then two really good wins from two young next-gen talents. Stefano Tsitsipas, a comfortable, or not comfortable, oh well, yeah, I will say comfortable, about as comfortable as you can get against John Isner. 7-6, seven, 7-6, six, seven, six. Tsitsipas taking both of those breakers. No breaks of serve in that match. And then Riley Opel continues his excellent form here this week in New York, 6-3, 7-6 over last year's U.S. Open semifinalist Matteo Berrettini. Jamie, your thoughts on that slate of men's results? Uh, I mean, yeah, good result for Tsitsipas. We'll start there. Um, This draw breaking, unfortunately for him, well, I shouldn't say unfortunately if he's comfortable winning against the huge servers, but man, that cannot be fun, right? He had Kevin Anderson, then he had Isner. I think he's got Opelka next. Um, So that's just not fun to be facing. It's my worst nightmare as a tennis player. It just sounds horrible. Like, even if he's winning, like, think about how unenjoyable that tennis is. No, I I have a (laughs) rule. No, I, I was going to say, I, I have a rule where I won't warm up with Rothman because I'm just like, dude, you're going to try and slap the fifth ball. And, like, I'm trying to warm up. I'm not trying to play yet. I'm yeah, trying to warm pretty up. Classic. And so, yeah, and so I'm and just like, and classic. that's every opponent Tsitsipas has had. Isner, Anderson, he's now going to face Opelka. Like, just the gaunt. Yeah, it's just not fun tennis. And, like, even if he gets through it, he's like, oh, my God, all right. Yeah, who's next? I wonder. I haven't even looked far enough in advance in the draw. If he gets through that one, is there another huge server awaiting him? I don't know. But uh, no, he. Oh is yeah, there is. He would, yeah, he would play Raonic or Krajinovic. <laughs> That's, That's hilarious. hilarious. Yeah, God, well, I, I will say. I hope it's yeah, random. No, no, no. It's just for that. <laughs> I agree with you, and I will say this on the flip side. One of the questions we all have about Stefano Tsitsipas, obviously the one-handed backhand, you think to yourself, it's a very basic game plan, but okay, can a big server overwhelm that one-hander with pace? And thus far, his backhand block return, whether it be the slice, whether it be coming through that ball, it's clear, you know, noticeable improvement off of that wing. I thought he just played really smart tennis against Isner, 25 winners against 12 unforced errors, an efficient 11 of 14 at the net, did a really good job of making that first ball deep, and then from there trying to target the Isner backhand. You know, a lot of times you're playing a big player, you want to play tentatively. You just want to make that ball. You think, okay, they're going to beat themselves. That's not what Tsitsipas did. He consistently look to move forward. Again, he didn't get broken on serve, played high percentage tests. This was a really good win for Stefano Tsitsipas. I agree. Just a, a, a quality performance more than anything else. Yeah, and he's got to be feeling really good going into the U.S. Open, too, knowing, you know, especially with how we've heard about these courts playing exactly. fast. Um, he's got to feel really good about going into the U.S. Open now because he's at least got the confidence, regardless of what happens, if he loses his next match or the one after that, he's at least got the confidence knowing that, hey, I can stand up to these the biggest of the big servers um, and get through matches just fine. So I think he's he's on a really good uh, course at the moment. I agree with you, and I'll say this. For Riley Opelka, now you take out the serves, and it's nine winners against 11 unforced errors, but 29 winners against 12 unforced errors against Berrettini. I mean, he's just clicking 
Like, this yeah. is exactly what we've been talking about for three years now on this podcast. When it clicks, it's as high of an upside as any player on tour simply because you just can't beat that serve. You just, that's the one thing you can't teach. And, you know, every, you talk to Craig Carter, you talk to Luke Jensen, all these great coaches. They say control the controllables, and the thing you can control more than anything else is the serve. That's the one shot you always have uh, at your disposal to do with it what you please. And, Riley Opelka is learning to do with it what he pleases. So yeah, it was a really fun day five, uh, day four of results. Day five, quarterfinal day, gonna get better and better, Jamie. Really fun slate of matches, you could argue. All of them are must-see TV. You're trying to nitpick, though. What are the ones you're gonna be locked in on? On the men's side, um, I I think the most interesting one for me is Struf Djokovic. Um, I'm really interested to see if Struf can continue his momentum and if he can can impose the big game like he has been. I mean, look, trying to impose a huge game against Djokovic is pretty much the tallest task in tennis. So if he can do that, I mean, really sky's the limit for him. But really curious to see how that one goes because of the high level that he's been playing at. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, On the and I was just no, going to say, gonna say just quickly side, that, yeah. that that's no because just to, to knock out the men's yeah I it we'll see how real Stroop is you mentioned Gofan really good Demon Hour really good anything they can do Djokovic does better uh so that's yeah. literally just the next step in that evolution for Medvedev I continue to believe unless you have a weapon at this point of his career I don't know how you beat Daniil Medvedev Roberto Bautista Gut will be the case in point we're going to see physically how much Medvedev has in the tank and then yeah Opelka Tsitsipas. I guess, must-see TV, duh. Uh, But yeah, all right, women's side, really, really fun matches. What are you locked in on? Yeah, I think for me, this is probably one that the other people would not be picking, but for the one I'm most interested in, it's actually Azarenka and Jabor because I'm very curious. I know I mentioned this either on yesterday's pod or perhaps the one before. I'm really curious to see the level that Azarenka can get back to. She has looked really good. She's gotten through matches. She got through the litmus test, as I call it, with her win over Cornet. I want to see the level of tennis that she can play at because obviously a former slam champion, somebody we've seen at the very, very top of the game, if she can get back even close to that, she's another one you have to throw in the serious competitor bucket for the U.S. Open. Yeah, and if you're an Azarenka fan, straight set wins in her first three matches against Vekic, Garcia, and Cornet. My flip side would be none of those opponents hurt you the way Own Jabour does. Own Jabour makes you uncomfortable. She hits angles. She hits drop shots. And watching Azarenka play Cornet yesterday, when Cornet could get Azarenka stretched, the movement's just not what it once was for Victoria yeah. Azarenka, and that's justifiable. I mean, you know, she's not in the prime of her career anymore, but she can still play some outstanding tennis, but I want to see how she responds to that test. Similarly for Jabour, uh, now it's quarterfinal time, and she's made a bunch of quarterfinals this year, but she still hasn't gotten over that hump to win a big event or make a final of a big event. We'll see if she can do that here. Or uh, Wait, did she make the final in Dubai? She might have. I think she lost in the semifinals. Anyways, I'll look that up in a second. Nevertheless, that is a really fun match. I agree with you. The one I'm watching, as I mentioned, Conteve and uh, Osaka, simply because I am convinced those are two players that without question uh, can uh, win the U.S. Open if they're playing their best tennis, and they've played three times before. Osaka, a winner in all three of those matches. Two of them came on hard courts, but the last hard court battle came in 2018, and both of these players 
players are completely different players since that moment. So it's going to be really, really interesting to see this battle. Two players, again, playing so well. Uh, I'm really excited for that. Obviously, for Sakari, also against Conte, you want to see how any player follows up a win against Serena Williams. Is there any sort of hangover effect? I suppose we will see. And then, you know, the reason we're not mentioning Pagula and Mertens is because it's already started at the time we're doing this. But yeah, it's a really fun slate of matches across the board. Of course, Jamie and I are ready to start watching all of the tennis. We will just remind all of you listeners, if you have missed out on any of the action and need to catch up, be sure to listen to this podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews Podcast. We're going to be all of our prep uh, content for New York for the U.S. Open starting to be released now, so you can find all that on the pod. So, of course, like, rate, subscribe, review, share with your friends. You want to hear our picks for the day. You want to get in on the action with our friends at DraftKings. You can check out our YouTube channel every night for our Ace of the Day picks. You can hear the full explanation each morning on the Great Shot podcast. And again, again, of course, you can find all of our content on our website, CrackedRackets.com. Uh, shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Fleekner and Daniel Westoff, for the of an ending job they do day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar for their continued support. Use the promo code CR15 with Midwest Sports, Cracked15 with Aerobar to get 15% off your orders and all the other perks that come with them. Jamie, any final thoughts before we wrap today's show? Uh, As the last few days, let's get off and go watch some tennis. All right. Well, then, with that in mind, for my wonderful co-host, James Foster McDonald, our super producers, Max Flickner and Daniel Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Happy birthday once again to you, Mrs. McDonald. And with that in mind, Jamie, what do we tell the listeners? That's a break. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.